Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. Today's scripture reading is from Titus 1, verses 1 through 4. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. God is good all the time. I really love hearing that. You have no idea how much. We have about 19, I believe, of our families that are away at family retreat. So hopefully they've had uh, an edifying weekend. And, and this evening, uh, we're, we'll have Mickey Garrison stand right here and bring us a lesson from, from God's Word. Last week, we concluded going through 1 Timothy. And Timothy was at Ephesus, and he faced some challenges that Paul left him there to sort out. And now we go to Titus, and Titus has to deal with a troubled church. Do you see a theme here? When you think about the church, what do you think of, right? If you're seeking a church, what do you want, right? You want a place where you feel like you belong, a place that there's no drama, no issues. And well, we always look for the ideal church, but it just doesn't exist in the, the way that we want it. There is Christ church and because the church is made up of people, sometimes we people who are flawed bring those flaws into the body. We don't face the challenges exactly like they did then, but we do as humans and Christians trying to serve our Lord sometimes face challenges, and sometimes that just spills over into what we do as a congregation. Now, there's a guy, I don't know if you've ever seen the show, but his name is Robert Irvine. He's a restaurant restaurateur, I don't know if I said that right, and a chef, and what he does, he goes to these restaurants that are failing, that are about to have to close their doors, and he will go in and he'll look at how their business plan is ran, the menu they're serving, maybe even cleanliness and, and, and all these things. And what he does is he goes in and he says, okay, here's what we need to do on this front. Here's what we need to do on that front and so forth and so on. And by the end of the episode, usually more often than not, he's turned the entire restaurant around so that it can be profitable. But in the interim, before getting it there to where people actually want to show up and eat, he has to deal with personalities. And sometimes it's the owners, sometimes it's the managers, sometimes it's just the staff. But more often than not, you find somebody, at least one somebody, that has a poor attitude that is affecting the whole thing. But what he does, he goes into something that's troubled and tries to turn it around so that when he leaves, he's left it better. I think Titus is a guy a little bit like that. 
Titus has been with Paul whenever there has been problems in Galatia. Also, 2 Corinthians mentions him quite often. So Titus is used to dealing with churches that have problems. He's used to helping them navigate through those waters. And the particular church where he is, according to chapter 1, verse 5, he is on the island of Crete. Now that's an important point. The island of Crete was situated almost in the center of the Mediterranean Sea. And whenever you have an island or a port city, all the port cities and the islands in the ancient world always had one of two things, at least two. A place to drink and a place to find women. Those were staples of those places. So Titus is going to deal with a congregation where there are some sexual immorality going on, where uh, there's violence and corruption, because at the time he was there, mercenaries lived on the island and sold out to the highest bidder. So he's, he's going to be facing and dealing with a people whose mindset is not very inclined to Christianity. But that's just a part of it. Also, according to Greek mythology, Crete is the island where the, the god Zeus was born. Now, that may not mean much to us, but it would have in Titus's time. Zeus, if you've ever read any of the old classics, uh, of course, you have three principal gods, according to Greek mythology. You have Zeus, who is the god uh, of, of uh, land and air. Uh, you have Poseidon, who is god of the sea. And you have Hades, who is god of the underworld. Zeus's realm was seen as probably the preeminent realm. And a lot of the tales about Zeus, when you read about him in Greek mythology, is he didn't really behave like a god. He, he behaved like a degenerate human, often disguising himself, lying, and, and sometimes even raping women. So when you look at Titus chapter 1, I want you to look at verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie. It's almost like Paul is tongue-in-cheek making the point. Okay, the God that was born here, allegedly, is a God that lies, he cheats, he's dishonest, he is abusive of humanity. But Titus, you're going to tell them about the God who cannot lie. Because Zeus was a chief God there, you look down in chapter 1, verse 12. One of, the own, one of their own prophets said that Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. It's not the best resume, but this is what you're going to have to work with. And so Paul has given Titus a task, and the task is pretty straightforward. Chapter 1, let's read together verses 5 through 9. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children not accused of dissipation or insubordination. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what's good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast to the faithful word as he's been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. All right, task number one, you have to commission good leaders. In order to straighten out the problems that the Cretan church is facing, we have to have good leadership. 
And character matters in leadership. And this is the basis on which Titus was to have selected and appointed elders and bishops to these positions. And in addition to this, if we were to put more of a description on it, in order to be the leader that God wants you to be, you can't care about being popular. You got to have an open mind. You have to serve those that you've been placed over. Uh, You have to do more than you expect of others, and you have to listen well and communicate clearly. Sometimes you'll be alone. Sometimes you will feel as if nobody understands. That's part of the burden of serving God in this role. Gordon Selfridge wrote this. He said, the boss drives his men, the leader coaches them. The boss depends upon authority, the leader on goodwill. The boss inspires fear, the leader inspires enthusiasm. The boss says, I, the leader, we. The boss fixes blame for the breakdown, the leader fixes the breakdown. The boss knows how it is done, the leader shows how. The boss says go, the leader says let's go. Huge difference. Before I was in ministry, I worked in small businesses and, and had some great managers, great owners, and some that were not so great. But one of the things that always made me want to do a real good job was when you had a good boss or a good owner of a company that really inspired you. Even when you felt yourself limited. Someone that would go, you're capable of better than this. And you go, really? You think so? And, and, and so you strive to do better because you don't want to let them down. You want to do your best. And when they take care of you, you want to make sure that you take care of them in turn. That's part of what inspires people. Usually when folks, and this is, this is true, usually when folks leave a job or a company, more often than not, it's because of bad management. Sometimes it's for better opportunities, but sometimes it's also because they just can't tolerate those who are over them. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you may or may not. But you got to have good leaders. And in the church, it's important that their character matters and that they be able not only to be men that are gentle, that are faithful, but men that will stand on conviction and not give ground to what is false. You need good leaders because what they have now are bad leaders. And Titus, when you commission the good leaders, you got to confront the bad leaders. Verses 10 through 16. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things that they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But those, to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. It may have been that some of the Cretans who became Christians 
were put in a leadership role way too fast. Uh, Paul told Timothy not to select a novice for the position of the bishop or elder, mainly because the novice can become puffed up and, and by virtue of being a new Christian and having a leadership role, they may be arrogant and they may make bad choices because of that. But these leaders, I want you to notice, you know, we think of confrontation as a bad word, right? Some people go, I'm non-confrontational, and as if it's a virtue, and in some cases it is. But then you have people who are very confrontational, and that's not always good either. The pen, there has to be a balance. The confrontation here that Titus is to undergo, you look at verse 13, he's to rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith. So the aim is to, is to get them back. It's not to run them off, it's to get them back. And then... He makes the mention that they're going to be easy to spot because they're out for dishonest gain, first of all. Secondly, they profess to know God, but in their works they deny Him. Think, uh, let's think about this for a second. We come and we pray in Jesus' name. We sing the hymns that Derek leads us in. We say, I'm a Christian. We say, I believe in Jesus and all these things. Do our actions outside of here demonstrate that confession or do our actions contradict that very thing? You've heard the maxim, actions speak louder than words, right? We can give all the lip service possible to the Lord, but what if our actions are something other than what is pleasing to God? What about not just what other people see, but what we do in private? A lot of the judgment that, that would probably condemn us are the things that we think are private. Nobody else knows. As long as no one else sees. Yeah, but God sees it all. And you know, the bad thing is, is it may not come out here, but sometimes it's thought up there. Anybody have any problem with that? Sometimes you, you think things and you go, I ought not have thought that. But you can't unscramble the egg. It's done. God is also the one who searches the hearts and minds of people. And I think, oh boy, I'm in trouble. I can keep it up here. I can, I've gotten to where I can prevent it from coming out here to a degree. But if it's, a, it's still bad. The aim is to win them back. The aim is to make it so that if they do know God, that their works will testify to that. So you got to confront bad leaders. And, and verse 11, the leaders that were there, they were actually upsetting households. So it's only natural that he turns next to the household and commands orderliness in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. 
Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. The house, the home is very, very important. Cicero, the Roman statesman, referred to the home, the family unit, as little Rome's. The strength of the Roman Empire was due in part to the strength of the home. And I would dare say that the strength of any community, of any nation, is going to be reflected by the strength of the home. And sad thing is we have a lot of weak homes and we have a lot of people who want to undermine the traditional view of the home. That a mother and father should have children and that the children should be obedient. I was at a barbershop recently I get my hair cut, and there was a lady there with, I, I don't know if it was her son or her grandson, but she was on the phone with somebody, and I just sat down, and I was overhearing because she was right there. It's hard not to hear when someone's talking like this on their phone right next to your face. And she was going on about, I'm not going to stay here and wait on him. He's being rude. He's calling me this and that. And she threw cash down at the boy and walked off, and I was like, huh. And then he lays out across this two-seated chair and just, you know, <sighs> you know, breathing so loud. I'm like, look, we get it. You can take in oxygen. But he was, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, if he did to her, like what she was telling somebody on the phone, and she just gets up and leaves, that's part of the problem. He may be 14 years old, but you should have jerked him up and knocked a knot on his head. And if, he, if they would have started that when he was eight, he wouldn't be what he was at 14 or 15. Discipline is important. My mother took my life on one occasion. And I knew my parents, and some people, well, we're not for spanking. Okay, well, that's, that's your choice. And some children, you don't have to spank. You just have to give them a good talking to. My daughter, I would just look at her and go, Bree. That was enough. Cole, nearly had to kill him a couple times. Different children. But you will mind. You will be respectful. You're going to be a good human by the time I'm done with you. Lord willing. I was just thinking, you know, why is it that parents are afraid of their children? And why is it that parents think the world revolves around their children? Yes, they're precious. They're important. We love them. And the greatest thing we can do for our children is make sure that they know and love the Lord. If I never have another success in my life, the fact that my daughter and my son are Christians, they know the Lord, they love the Lord, and they serve Him according to their own talents, my life is a success. I, I want to be like Noah. 
so that when the judgment came and it was time to live in the grace of God and not incur that judgment, that when I get on that ark, I want my family to be there. As a preacher, of course, I want everybody to be there. But I will have failed if my own household isn't there with me. And there are some things more important than others. And I will say this, Gary, for all of his flaws, and they're too numerous to count, one thing that I tell you, and of course I kid Gary quite often, but you know, the one thing that he has really showed me is just how to truly love your children, because he does that. And does it get annoying ever? Do you like it? No, it doesn't get annoying. Okay. But he does. He loves his daughters, and uh, you may know this, but, uh, that, you know, I came in one day, and I was like, oh, yeah, it's, you know, one of the kids' birthdays. He said, are you out of your mind? I said, what are you talking about? He said, if it's their birthday, go home and celebrate their birthday. What are you doing here? I was like, well, that's just something I never thought of. But yes, discipline is important. Orderliness is important. But loving them is very important too. Loving them and spending time with them and being there for them. I, I, I think it's, <clears throat> it's a lot funner now that one is in adulthood because I'm like, I, I'm seeing all her accomplishments and I'm like, this is so great. It's like, I want to focus on that. <clears throat> but the older men were to conduct themselves accordingly, the older women accordingly, and, and they were to teach the younger women how to do it just right. Yesterday, we were in Nashville, and we stopped by my, my aunt and uncle's house, and um, <clears throat> my aunt Christy, man, she can do anything under the sun, really. But where my aunt and uncle lived, before they lived there, was this older couple, Mr. and Miss Lowe. And, and daddy told me, he said, son, when I was a kid, Mr. and Miss Lowe was old. And so, you know, but they were just the sweetest people. And Miss Lowe, I would go across the creek and sometimes help her and do things. And, and you know how she paid me? And her fried apple pies. <laughs> we'll work for food. <laughs> and they were so good. And I remember we were at church because uh, Mr. and Miss Lowe went to church uh, with us, or we went to the same church, and we were walking out, and I, and I said, I said, Miss Lowe, I said, I, I need you to tell Stephanie how you make those fried apple pie. Will you share that recipe? And Miss Lowe just said, well, you take a little of that and a little of this, and you do this with it, and blah, 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 blah. And we get in the car, and Stephanie says, I won't remember a word of what she said. And I was like, but yesterday we go down there and we, we visit uh, on our way home and my Uncle Andy, he looks over, he said, you ever have one of Miss Lowe's fried apple pies? I said, yeah. He said, Christy, go get Stephen and Stephanie one of those apple pies. And he looks at me and said, you know Christy made those with Miss Lowe. Miss Lowe taught her how to. I'm like, are you serious? It was the first time in like, I don't know, 20 years that I've had one of the... So, you know, the, the older women teaching the younger women. You know, Miss Lowe teaching my Aunt Christy uh, how to make that. It, it's kind of the same thing. Um, and, and, and I hope that, you know, younger families feel that they have maybe not older, but more senior uh, peers that 
when it comes to, to home, to marriage, to, to raising children, someone they can turn to and be like, did y'all ever, you know, because I see some of the, the, the mothers and the fathers with the small children. And I know sometimes they can be a handful in the assembly, right? Uh, and especially when they decide to belt out in an operatic note, very loud and high. But you know, most of us, we're not bothered by it. We just go, oh, been there, right? All been there. And you know, it, it will pass, uh, but don't let it deter you or discourage you too much. My mentor used to always say, if you don't hear crying, the church is dying. And that's pretty accurate. Okay. So orderliness, and then you have to conduct matters. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men, for we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Now look down at verses 9 and 10. But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Reject a divisive man after a first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped, and sinning, being self-condemned. It should be the early verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, I think is pointing out the reality that the best citizens of any principality, uh, nation, state, county, should be Christians. It, it should be reflected because that Jesus is our King. We live now as if we were before his own presence. There were two guys, Tim Nichols and Craig Wiseman. They wrote a song several years ago based on family and friends who had learned of illnesses and how those friends and family had learned a new perspective because of their diagnosis. So the song they wrote was meant to inspire people in those various situations. And in 2004, the song was released, became an enormous hit, and spent seven weeks atop the charts later being ranked as the song of the year and winning many awards, the artist Tim McGraw sang the song, Live Like You Were Dying. Most of us have heard that song, unless you hate country music and you're inclined to have bad taste. That's okay. Live Like You Were Dying. If you get a second, look up those lyrics and read them and, and give it a good looking over. Paul, however, in chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, he doesn't suggest that we live like we are dying, but rather that we live as if we were already in the kingdom of heaven with the Lord. Chapter 2, uh, excuse me, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Don't live like you were dying, Paul says. Live like you're already in heaven. That's what he 
leaves in the hands of Titus to direct the Cretan churches to. Will you bow with me and pray, please? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the words of your scriptures. We thank you, Father, for the assembly here at Glendale. Thank you for our visitors and our members. Bless us, Father, that we may be a strong church, united, loving one another, serving one another. And by that, we pray that those who see us see how we regard one another and how we, in reverence, serve you. And we pray, Lord, that they would wish for that themselves. We pray for those who are not only physically sick, but those who are spiritually sick. We pray, Father, for those who have had seeds planted or have had seeds watered. We pray that you would give the increase. Bless the efforts of the body here and everyone as they talk to their friends, their family about Jesus. We pray, Father, you'll give them wisdom with which to speak. And we pray, Father, that much good will come from those efforts. We ask for your forgiveness. Each of us have probably dealt with something this week and we could look back and think we could probably deal with it better. So let your grace shine upon us, we pray. Forgive us our trespasses and help us to humbly serve all the days that you have laid out for us. These things we ask through Christ our Savior. Amen. I'll tell you that... uh, What I love about Glendale Road is what John Dale told me when I was interviewing before I came here. I said, John, tell me about the church, and I want you to shoot me straight. He said, here's what I'll tell you. They love the Lord, and they want to do what's right. I think we can all work with that. He didn't say that you're perfect because we're not or that there were no issues ever, because that wouldn't be true. But we love the Lord and we want to do what's right. And I'm always very taken aback and surprised sometimes when when people come up and they just say, boy, you stepped all over my toes this morning. And then they usually go, but I needed it. And so it is true. This is a congregation that loves God and wants to do right. But there are people here who are facing problems. It could be financial, could be business, it could be job-related, it could be family. You know, just because we become Christians doesn't mean that all the problems go away. But it does help us to navigate those problems with the comfort and the peace of God, knowing that, you know, thank God this isn't eternity. This too shall pass. So if you, an imperfect, flawed person, Love the Lord and you want to be with other imperfect, flawed people who love the Lord also. This is the place to be. We would wish for anyone who's not a Christian to become one. If you have faith that Jesus is God's Son and are willing to trust fully in God to make that confession and to be buried with the Lord in baptism, having your sins washed away, you'll become a member of, of the body of Christ. But make no mistake about it, Christians are imperfect, every one of us, but we serve a perfect God, and that's what really matters. 
So if you want to become a Christian this morning, or if you're a Christian who wants to repent, or you need prayers of the church, we'll be glad to attend to your needs. Just come forward as we stand and sing.